You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, Chris is safely back from his voyage to the world beyond in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club. In fact, Chris is actually in the other room. Yeah. Hey, look at that. So what, our third show that we've done actually in the same location? Mostly the same location. You're about 10, 12 feet away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, give or take a few inches. And you're assisted by a little white Bichon named Teddy Bear. Yes, Teddy Bear with a cold nose. Teddy Bear with a cold nose. And our guest, I don't think, has a cold nose. His name is Peter Davenport, and he heads up the National UFO Reporting Center. Peter, welcome to the Paracast after, I guess, several years. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's delightful to be here. Looking forward to uh, two hours of talking about UFOs. There's a lot going on. Well, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about your presentation before the citizen hearing on disclosure. But I wanted to ask you one thing, and this is the issue we were discussing the last time you were on the show. You were in the process of acquiring or renovating a missile silo. <laughs> That's correct. For, for the longest time, decades ago, I aspired to own a missile site, an underground ICBM missile site. And in 2005, an opportunity to own one presented itself. Six months later, after a lot of negotiation and uh, paraphernalia, uh, I purchased one. And I own it, and I'm still cleaning it up. It's two to three million tons of cement. It's a big project. But that's what I own, and uh, some people collect stamps, others collect coins, and I collect a missile site. <laughs> no, is it a, a Minuteman site or a Nike site? No, it's an Atlas E site. An Atlas site? Oh, it's the big boys. <laughs> yeah, it was built in uh, the late 50s, early 60s. It was commissioned in April of 1961. Again, it was the first underground ICBM missile site in the U.S. arsenal. Site 6 commanded out of Fairchild Air Force Base near Spokane. And I purchased it in March of 2006, and I'm still cleaning it up. <laughs> how, many, how many square feet do you have down there? About 18,000. Wow. Yeah, it's a big site. If the world is going to end and I have enough time, you know where I'm going. Yeah. I'm renting out uh, space a square foot at a time. (laughs) (laughs) So at the present rate of reconstruction, cleaning it out, etc., how long do you think it's going to take you to finish this task? Yeah, I've projected out it'll be the year 2317, I'll have it cleaned, and then the construction phase will begin. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big project. Well, the way it's going, if this world is still here, then. Yeah. I'm currently working on a project. We're almost done. I and a co-worker who's an engineer, been a big help to me, we're building a gearbox actuator for an 80,000 pound door that rolls on uh, railroad wheels on a on, on a track that's what i'm up to that's the type of thing you do when you're on a missile site <laughs> when the kids come trick or treating boy it's a real shocker when that door opens i'm sure oh yeah <laughs> that's right oh that's going to be a lot of fun yeah trick or treat you can come out in a spacesuit or something yeah i do uh, my alien costume like down in phoenix Governor Fife Symington had a member of his staff come out in an alien suit 
proving that the Phoenix Lights event was all a hoax. Yeah. And then he comes out 10 years later and says, well, actually, um, I saw it, too. Yeah, so much for public servants, huh? Well, this particular one, of course, was tried and convicted of a crime, high crimes, misdemeanors, forced to resign as governor, and then Clinton pardoned Symington because Symington saved his life one time. Apparently, this was something where Clinton could have drowned if he wasn't saved by Symington. So, therefore... Therefore, he earned the pardon. Yeah. My suspicion is your assessment or your your description of the situation may be accurate, but I've long wondered whether Fife Symington was pardoned by Clinton because Fife Symington had played along with the game back in 1997 and not spilled the beans on the fact that he had had one of those uh, huge triangles fly over him. I recently calculated how big one of the uh, chevron-shaped craft was the one that flew across the home of uh, Sue Watson, and it was not less than 7.4 terrestrial statute miles in width. Wow. Miles. It was a huge, huge craft. Could have been as much as 9.6 statute miles across, too. Just to put this in perspective, the alien motherships in the movie... Independence Day, they were 15 miles in diameter, right? I don't know. I can't address <laughs> that, but they were big. Well, you know, CGI. Big. And you know, to save money when they made that film, they had students doing some of the work. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when that movie premiered back, I think it was 1997, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the key about the movie is that Jeff Goldblum was able to save the world with an Apple PowerBook yeah. that connected wirelessly to an alien network using technology that hadn't been invented yet because we didn't use Wi-Fi then. People forget. Yeah. Sometimes life imitates art. Something like yep. that. That's where we got the idea, by the way. Because a couple of years later, Apple included Airport, which was the Wi-Fi connection. Seriously speaking... So, Peter, last week you were over at the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, the event sponsored by Stephen Bassett at the National Press Club. Now, you gave a presentation. Did you have a chance to check out the rest of the proceedings? Oh, I was present for almost all of the proceedings, I think, except when I had to step out for an interview or something along those lines. When I arrived there, I didn't really understand what the format was going to be. I didn't realize what was going to happen. We hadn't been really, in my opinion, thoroughly briefed on what was going to happen. But looking back on the event, I'm roundly impressed by what happened there. I was roundly impressed by the quality of the committee members. They did a wonderful job of cutting right to the heart of the issue for all presenters. And I was very impressed with the quality of the uh, panel members, the UFO investigators who'd been invited to the event. Stephen Bassett is to be complimented on the great job he did. It was really a landmark event, and I think it's going to sort of break the ice and start things rolling, perhaps. Now, there have been some criticisms that a few of those participants were maybe not as properly vetted. I think you know some of the names. Yeah. Well, that's always the case. Any distribution of people, any collection or group of people, you will find differences. My 
predisposition by nature, I think, and by my training as a scientist, is to stick to the facts, stick to what we know, and try my level best not to overstep what those facts may say. Other people are more conjectural, they're reporters, they're interested in other subjects that are, in my opinion, peripheral to the UFO phenomenon, but I can't control that, I can't address that issue, that's their uh, preference, apparently, and they were invited by the organizer, so he presumably knew what their predisposition was before he invited them. I think the problem we have with Mr. Bassett is that when he was on the PowerCast last, and that must be 2009 or thereabouts, he basically said he didn't care, <laughs> which didn't bothered care him. care about the facts, you mean, or the vetting of uh, people's testimony? The latter. He didn't really yeah. care about the vetting. And I think part of the problem and one of the issues here, before we get into the thing, the evidence and the presentation about UFOs and everything, is the fact that people who have somewhat wackier points of view, that's what the press seizes on, and that's sometimes one of the problems that you have in trying to get serious attention focused on UFOs, the fact that they don't look for the people who have the radar, visual sightings, and trace evidence. They look at somebody with a wacky theory, and yep. that's what counts. What counts I is agree. we have Peter Davenport joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Being prepared against possible food shortages and economic collapse is not complicated. 
Just remember two words, disaster stuff. Add.com after those two words and you've got just one site for all your preparedness needs. Disasterstuff.com prepares your family against food shortages with Linden Farms freeze-dried foods in buckets or gourmet reserves. Freeze-dried food in number 10 cans, both with free shipping. Purify and rid your water of contaminants with a big Berkey or other Berkey system and get free shipping plus a water level spigot or fluoride filter at cost and protect your radios and other electronics from EMPs with our EMP Faraday bags starting at just $5.90. When the food shortages and economic instability happens, be ready with all your stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Just remember two words, DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. Hey there, my name is Frank Bates. Do you know the number one most valuable item in a crisis? Some people think the answer is gold. Others think it's a gun. But the correct answer will shock you. I just created a free video at Crisis123.com that reveals a surprising item that is more valuable than gold in a crisis. 97% of Americans don't have this one critical item. In fact, they haven't even given it a thought. And the sad truth is that you may not survive without it when a real crisis hits and a starving mob is right outside your door. What I have to tell you could literally make the difference between life and death for you and your family. Watch my video at Crisis123.com to discover the number one most valuable item in a crisis. You'll be shocked. See the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months. Go watch my video now at Crisis123.com before they force me to shut it down. Again, that's Crisis123.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, one of those rare episodes where Chris is sort of in the studio. He's actually in the next studio over at our palatial estate located on the planet no, we don't want to mention that. People will think that I'm actually E.T. Peter Davenport joining us on the Paracast this week. He was a presenter at the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, having a very gracious response to the proceedings. So let's look at really the highlights of what you did there, and we'll get into where UFO evidence is nowadays, and also about current cases. What's happening now? So realizing that you're going to be presenting before a group of former members of Congress. Obviously, you assembled what you consider to be your best evidence. Peter, can you give us a few ideas of where you went with this? Yeah, actually, I'll share with our our listeners uh, a fact that is not known. I had written out a three-page statement that I was prepared to make, and one of the organizers who had read it said he didn't think it was quite appropriate. So, and I actually agree with the assessment. Again, going back to an earlier statement I made during the program, I didn't know what the format was going to be. So, very, very soon before I was scheduled to testify before the the committee, I had to cobble together an alternative presentation. And what I decided to do was just talk about some of the more dramatic cases, dramatic and well qualified or or well-documented cases, rather, 
that have come to the National UFO Reporting Center over the last 19 years. My presentation was extemporaneous after I read a short paragraph at the beginning. What I did was just share with the committee some of the really, really interesting material that has come to the UFO Center uh, since 1994, when I became its second director. That's what I did. My evening pre presentation just over a week ago, eight days ago, was a much more informal presentation of some of those cases that I addressed during my testimony. And that was streamed live over the Internet to those people who subscribed to the event. And apparently, the, certainly the latter was very well received. People had no idea how far we can take back uh, the UFO phenomenon. Going back, it appears, possibly, if cave paintings are, have any relationship to the UFO phenomenon, they appear to on the face of them. We can take back the UFO phenomenon as far as maybe 12,000 years. If we can take it back 12,000 years, the question remains whether we can take it back 12 million years or perhaps billions of years. That, in a nutshell, is what I presented, what I did, and uh, the reaction that I had from some of the viewers. The people who talked to you, the questioners, the former members of Congress, what sort of issues were they focusing on? Well, I think they were looking for evidence, and that's part of the reason I presented before them the way I did, presenting just hard, hardball cases cases that involved radar tracings, cases that involved multiple witnesses. Some of the criteria I applied, I my evening presentation, the, these are cases that had multiple witnesses, some, some kind of hard evidence indicating that a, a real and dramatic event had occurred. I talked about one of the cases I cited during my testimony, and I alluded to, I think, during my evening presentation, was a case that occurred over Providence, Rhode Island, on the 22nd of June, year 2000. An airline pilot flying a single-engine turboprop from Nantucket Island up to New Hampshire uh, ran into some heavy thunderstorms over Boston, and he, in an attempt to avoid them, he skirted out east of Providence, Rhode Island, and was or out west of Providence. He was going to go west of Boston to get around the heavy weather. As he was flying over Providence, right over the shoreline, uh, he saw a dark object ahead of his aircraft in the west, close to where the sun had just set. It was about 9.20 or 9.30 at night. And our listeners can go to our website and read the actual statement by the pilot. In very short order, he realized, whereas he first thought it was a soaring bird, he realized that the object was actually approaching his aircraft at extremely high speed. And he was mortified to see that it was almost on a collision course with his airplane. It missed his airplane by, he estimated, 50 feet. It went right under his starboard wing, his right-hand wing. He got on the radio to the Air Traffic Control Service, or center, and asked them if they had anything on radar. At first they said, no, we don't have anything. We don't see anything. A few seconds later they called him back and said, now we have it. And it has reversed its course and it is tracking your airplane. So that's the type of case I like to talk about because you have a good witness, you have multiple witnesses, you have radar tracing. It was a very, very good case.
that's part of the reason I included it in my brief presentation Wednesday morning. Yeah, that's so. that's pretty riveting stuff. Boy, it sure freaked me out if I was a pilot and all of a sudden fifty, you know, something goes flying by just mere feet from my my plane. Yeah, uh, I've talked to that pilot probably on half a dozen occasions. Mm-hmm. Did he uh, did younger, he give a description of it? Uh, was he able to really ascertain uh, the shape or actual size? He estimates he was within 50 feet of that object, which gives a person, even though it was streaking by his airplane, he had perhaps a short period of time to get a good eyeball on it and see what it looked like. He said that it was the shape of an egg with the, I think, the sharp nose pointed forward. It had no windows. It had no cockpit. It had no engine nacelles. It had no uh, maneuvering control surfaces on it that he could see. It was the color of a uh, charcoal briquette. It was dull black. Wow. And about the size of an American sedan. So relatively small, not a big craft at all. And again, people can go to our website, ufocenter.com, and look at that case again for June uh, June 22nd of the year 2000 and read the pilot's report. It's a very, very well-composed and well-written report that shares the details with anybody who cares to read it. And that's not not atypical by any means of the many, many reports that we have received over the last 19 years from pilots, astronomers, police officers, emergency responders, uh, all sorts of professional people yeah, trained observers, you would think. Who've, who've been witness to strange objects, and that's what the National UFO Reporting Center does. We wear many hats. Whenever you deal with the public, you have to do many, many things, of course, but fundamentally we do th- two things. We provide people with a place to record their data and report it, and we also make it available to the public as quickly as we can so that people may know, may have access to the truth and information that their government should be providing them with, but is not. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. 
your freedoms are on the line. The Second Amendment is in danger. How soon before your freedoms are taken away? What can you not live without? What is your greatest dependency? Is it your guns? Is it your home? No, it's food. It all boils down to the food supply. Tyrannical governments control people by controlling their food supply. Don't be dependent. Be self-sufficient. Don't wait for the government to feed you. Feed yourself. I could warn you, but I can't feed you. Do like Alex has done and get a supply of food from eFoods Direct. It's the best long-term storable food on the planet. Get the popular Mega Patriot Pack free. A 24-day supply of food plus stove, cook pot, and fuel. Call 800-250-1857 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex and get up to 20 Mega Patriot Packs free with purchase. Build your food supply, be in control, be self-sufficient, and be a patriot. Call 800-250-1857 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex and get your free Patriot Pack today. We've lived in this neighborhood for years. We have an alarm system and all of our doors have deadbolts. They kicked in our door and were in and out of our house in about five minutes. The police arrived in about 20 minutes, but they were long gone with our TV, jewelry, and my guns. I kept thinking, what if my family had been home? The police officer said that more than 85% of break-ins are through a door and that deadbolts alone don't stop intruders. The officer told me to go to EasyArmor.net if we wanted something that would actually stop an intruder. Easy Armor reinforces all of the weak points on your doors and is guaranteed to prevent kick-ins. I was surprised at how little Easy Armor costs, and I installed Easy Armor in about 30 minutes. Visit EasyArmor.net. That's the letters E-Z-A-R-M-O-R.net. Or call 888-58-ARMOR. That's 888-582-7667. EasyArmor.net. Ultimate door security made easy. Gardeners, here comes another growing season, but don't use last year's soil. Maximize yields in your survival garden with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 is an organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant that provides a broad spectrum of beneficial microorganisms, enzymes, trace minerals, vitamins, and various organic acids. EM1 helps regulate the soil's pH level and its soil microbes, improving moisture retention and drought tolerance. Remember last year's dry conditions? EM1 from Terraganics is safe, chemical-free, and certified for use on all organic farms. It improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, and gives up to 20% more nutrient value in fruits and vegetables and greatly increases shelf life. And EM1 is so simple to use, just mix with water and apply. This year, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Semi-live on the scene, Gene and Chris in almost the same studio, talking to Peter Davenport as we continue. He's discussing some of the key cases he brought before the citizen hearing on disclosure. Now, I guess the key issue people ask and then want to know more about the cases that you brought together here is how much do you think the government really knows about all this? Because the purpose of a request for disclosure is the assumption that they have something substantial to disclose. It is clear to me from my vantage point that the government must know about the UFO phenomenon. It launches me into a subject 
which in my opinion is my greatest contribution to the UFO community and to explanation of what the UFO phenomenon is, and that has to do with a paper I wrote on the use of passive radar for detecting UFOs. What we need to do, in my opinion, is break the chain of eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts, in many cases, are very convincing, very interesting, but they nevertheless are hearsay evidence. What I would like to do is be able to show objectively and factually that there are these strange objects that have flight characteristics that defy explanation in terms of terrestrial limitations on aerodynamic devices. And that is my paper that I wrote on the use of passive radar for detecting UFOs. Passive radar is using the transmitted signals of commercial radio and television stations, which under ordinary circumstances radiate out into space forever. Once the photons, the electromagnetic radiation, starts radiating out into space, it continues essentially forever, unless there is something that will reflect those radio waves back down to Earth, which allows us to detect the target. I wrote a paper on the subject of using those commercial radio te and television s signals for detecting anomalous targets. Well, I mention all of this because the U.S. government has been doing exactly that with a facility that stretches across the southern tier of the United States. It's referred to as the FENCE. It is the U.S. Naval Space Surveillance System that stretches from San Diego to the state of Georgia, where its command headquarters, I believe, are located, for now almost probably more than half a century. Since the late 1950s, the U.S. Navy has maintained this facility for tracking satellites and, in fact, all orbiting objects in the near-Earth environment, up to probably 500 or 1,000 miles above the surface of the planet. Are we to believe that the U.S. Navy has never detected an anomalous target? If UFOs are real, and if they reflect radio, uh, radio signals, the U.S. Navy must be awash in anomalous target reports. They must be getting uh, signals reflected from objects for which the Navy would have no explanation. They can't be aircraft, they can't be migratory birds, they can't be satellites presumably either hovering at very low altitude or very low speeds or traveling at very high speeds, altogether incompatible with those other terrestrial objects I alluded to a moment ago. So the U.S. Navy and the U.S. government must have known about UFOs for at least 60 years. That's my assessment yeah. of the situation. I totally agree with that. And it's interesting that someone like a, uh, Colonel John Alexander would write a book on the subject of UFOs and talk about putting together this really high-powered uh, team of insiders and then, you know, going to the government and trying to find out who knows what, you know, where this is compartmentalized. And then you look through his book and you never see the NSA mentioned. Um, yeah. And you would think that that would be one of the first places that he would inquire, some sort of sourcing uh, at the NSA, because, of course, they monitor... <laughs> Or airspace and communications and what have you. So, there's a story that came out the other day about the government is able to get a hold of information on over a billion and a half 
personal communications every single day, such as emails and everything else? Oh, yeah. That's the NSA facility that is just about to open in the state of Utah. Uh, I argue that the government does not have the authority to do that. The federal government doesn't. But uh, it's going to take it's going to take some very serious public pressure to get that facility shut down. They are designed to intercept up to eight terabytes of information per second, as you say, wow. all electronic communications that the Americans. <laughs> well, the question I have is whether they are monitoring this one. We're doing this through Skype. Absolutely. It is being recorded as we speak by the NSA facility in Utah. Would that make it All... easier for me to edit it? I just call them up and say, could you give me your copy? <laughs> Maybe it sounds better than mine. Yeah. Maybe you could have them edit it for you and send it back to you ready to go. <laughs> Get some of your tax dollars back. Right. Well, they've got us on uh, stress monitoring and uh, analysis uh, equipment. They're, they've got it totally screwed down tight, I'm sure. Oh, yes. I agree. <laughs> yep. Even if they've tracked UFOs and they have all the sightings, do you think they have a clue as to what is actually behind the mystery? Well, I think at least to the degree that they can show to their own satisfaction that these objects are not aircraft. They are not satellites. They're not crash dummies. They're not swamp gas. They're not plastic bags blowing in the wind. So they must know or suspect that they're dealing with something of extraordinary nature that could not have come from this planet. Whether they've had sit-down meetings with the presumed occupants of these craft, I have no idea. But I, I strongly suspect that they have. Uh, it would be an obvious next step. They could not afford to allow these creatures to amalgamate or to associate with other nations, the governments of other nations, because that would risk tipping the defense balance in favor of another nation. We couldn't allow that to happen. So clearly it is something that our government would want to do. It would be fraught with peril. You never know what the outcome or offshoot of a meeting like that might be, but they would certainly have to do it. How long they've been having these communications. This was an issue that was addressed at the citizens' hearing last week. Uh, there are claims that the U.S. government has has alien creatures uh, available to it, whether incarcerated, how they keep them, I don't know. Uh, it's not something I'd want to do, given their technological sophistication. If they can travel between stars and cover the distance that they no doubt have come to arrive at the planet Earth, uh, I don't think I'd want to be in a position of uh, forcing their hand one way or another. I'd be on my best behavior, I think. Well, you also think that would make it almost impossible for them to capture a craft, let alone a creature. Yes, unless the craft had crashed, leaving the creature without a means of conveyance off this planet. Yeah, I, I have a problem, though, with the whole idea of UFO crashes. I mean, if they're so exalted in, with their technology and they're, you know, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of years ahead of us, don't you think they would have figured out the bugs in, the, uh, t in their hardware and they wouldn't, wouldn't crash? Could be, but there's also the possibility that there could be competition between different strains of creatures. 
And if there's competition, there would be the likelihood of conflict. And then you have creatures with equal degrees, equal measures of technology, fighting one another. In fact, uh, sounds like the Romulans and the Klingons. Exactly. Well, Peter, in your database, how many reports do you have of UFOs in apparent conflict with one another? Uh, At least two. You know what? I'm going to ask you that question as soon as we get back from the break. Okay, Peter? Folks, you can find so much more of the things that we do if you go to our site, thepowercast.com, thepowercast.com. We have Peter Davenport joining us this week with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at webtv.net. That's Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. to get real. It's time to prepare. Economic collapse, social unrest, natural disasters, government takeover, UN takeover. Are you ready? 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 Get ready at the Social Prepper Trade Show in Dalton, Georgia, June 6th, 7th, and 8th. Three massive days to learn self-reliance and emergency preparedness. Exhibitors ranging from survival, solar, power, food, protection, guns, ammo, disaster preparation products, hunting, and much more. Seminars by Dr. Wallach, Robert Henry, Raymond Blake Hogshead, Trish Deer, Sandy Hall, Rick Austin, Survivor Jane, and more of our nation's experts on survival and preparedness. Don't miss the Social Prepper Trade Show, June 6th through 8th, Dalton, Georgia. For discount tickets, prize raffle, and Info, go to socialprepper.com. Enter code GCN for 50% online ticket discount purchase. The Social Prepper Trade Show, presented in part by GCN. What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. 
the original Grover Rocket Stove Minimal Wood Use Cooking Stoves. Available exclusively from StockStorage.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center, and he says, on record, you have information about two UFOs that were having at each other, didn't get along? Well, I can't say that. What I have is at least two cases in which it appears that a craft, a sophisticated craft, let's call it a UFO for the purposes of this program, and I think that's a fair assessment. On the evening of the 7th of January, 1995, uh, a very, very unusual event occurred over the city of McMinnville, Tennessee, Warren County, Tennessee. Uh, That night, people from all over the area allegedly were witness to a fleet of craft, a collection of objects that were descending vertically over the airport of McMinnville. Again, this is in the state of Tennessee. Suddenly, an immense explosion took place. Huge fragments, reportedly blue in color, were thrown up high into the sky, and they cascaded down onto the surrounding area. Uh, I presented this case in some detail at the citizens' hearing, Part of my the evidence I presented was a handwritten, detailed, five-page assessment uh, by a deputy sheriff of Warren County Sheriff's Office of what was reported to him by the citizens who had been witness to the event. That was the first one. A very, very interesting case that went totally uninvestigated. Uh Wow, you would think that somebody would find debris and and we'd have some uh, physical evidence to examine. Well, it's interesting. I had a a young fellow who was a student up in Kentucky who heard me talking about this case shortly after it had occurred, and he decided to go down and investigate it. He was a student studying to become a private investigator. He decided this would be a good case to sort of cut his teeth on, if you will, a good case to try his skills as an investigator on. So he went down there. He talked to actual witnesses and reported to me that people who lived in the area about 90 minutes after the event had occurred were awakened by knocks on their front door by people who claimed to be with the quote-quote government who were requesting permission to go on the 
property of these people looking for fragments of the explosion. They, the people from the government did not identify what branch of the government they were from. They did not say beyond the fact that they were looking for fragments of an exploded aircraft. They did not go into any detail at all. A very, very good case. And I wish I'd been closer to McMinnville, Tennessee, to be able to uh, investigate it myself. That was not, not possible, unfortunately. The second case is equally interesting, and it's one that occurred over the state of New Mexico on Sunday night, the 15th of August, 1999, at 11.18 p.m. A, an immense flash occurred that was reported from as far north as Montana, as far south as into Mexico, and it was a flash that occurred. In fact, we I had hoped to show the video during my presentation. Time ran out. I was not able to do so. But it was a flash that occurred at a location about 60 or 80 miles west of Albuquerque, where at least three objects were reported by eyewitnesses on the ground to be converging. They were Their flight path, their ground track over the ground in New Mexico appears to us upon analysis of their reports. The flash occurred where these objects were converging. It's a, an immensely interesting uh, case, and I've talked about it now for 14 years uh, in presentation, and interestingly, I've gotten virtually no traction in the UFO community. I have the video from the Sandia National Laboratory sky camera that recorded it. Wow. And I have friendlies, uh, people who support my work in Sandia Corporation, who sent me some very, very interesting video that was captured by the sky camera. Okay, can you post this somewhere, or is this posted somewhere so we can all see it? It's been on my website for 14 years. Ah. The link may have expired but we'll try to renew it. But all of the dozens and dozens of reports are posted to our website, again, for Sunday night, the 15th of August, 1999. People can go and just read what the yeah, I, I seem to remember uh, getting a couple calls on that particular event myself. Mm -hmm. I'd have to go through my database to double-check on that, but I do seem to recall something happened in August, 99. Things have been pretty quiet around there, and this kind of came out of the blue. It was a fascinating case. Uh, I had the video shortly after the event had occurred. And interestingly, the most interesting part of it for me was the reaction of Sandia National Laboratories. They said they did an article. The Sandia National Laboratories um, newspaper, in-house newspaper, did an article, and they claimed that it was a, uh, it was a meteor. Nothing could be further from the truth. If people look at the reports on our website, they will see that there were several objects that were in the skies above New Mexico just an instant before the explosion occurred. And interestingly, and Sandia had no explanation for this fact that I'm about to share, there was a second flash that occurred, immensely bright flash that was seen from hundreds, possibly thousands of miles away. 21 minutes after the first one. Sandia didn't even address the second flash. Very strange event. 
you would think there'd be some sort of uh, sonic boom or some some sort of uh, audio thing would would be also reported if it was some sort of bolide or celestial object like that. Absolutely, uh, a bolide that is so bright that it can be seen for thousands of miles. Uh, let's say let's limit it to hundreds just to be conservative. It was seen as far north as Montana, certainly Wyoming, and it was seen from all over the northwest or the southwestern United States. A bolide or a meteor that is that bright would certainly, as you point out, Chris, would certainly have created an audible sound. Yeah. The meteor over Chelyabinsk on the 15th of February this year is a case in point. It blew windows out. Yeah, yeah, people were Why, flying glass. Why would a flash that immense not have generated an audible report? Yeah, and these types of reports are very unusual, too. Um, you, you don't see them that often, but I remember back uh, in the, this would have probably been 94 or 95, uh, I had witnesses on I-70 around the Glenwood Springs area um, report the whole canyon, you know, late at night, the whole canyon just being lit brighter than daylight for for just an instant, and then and then, boom, it was uh, pitch black again in, in the canyon, and uh, nobody heard anything. Nobody reported seeing any sort of objects. It was just all of a sudden, like, it turned brighter than day for an instant, and then it was gone. I have cases like that, too. In fact, one of the cases I presented uh, at the citizens' hearing during my evening hour-long presentation was a case that occurred in Ontario, Canada, over Lake Erie, and on over the western end of Pennsylvania, uh, an object that streaked from north to south and suddenly stopped just south of the Pennsylvania Turnpike and hovered. And it was strobing so brightly, according to one witness on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, that it illuminated the entire valley that he was in wow. brighter than daylight. So these cases are occurring with some frequency, considerable frequency, and they're posted to our website at ufocenter.com. Listen, let me just ask you a favor here. The UFO camera photos that you mentioned briefly a moment ago, is that something you can maybe look up in the next few days and give us a direct link to post on the site or in our forums? I think we have to refresh the link, but the problem is, and the reason we let that link lapse, it it was on our site for many, many years. And uh, it is an immense video file. So when people access it, they download gigabytes of material. And uh, if they access it two or three times, it in dramatically increases the amount of data that is downloaded from our site. And we have to pay for that. Well, we have so, the ability here to send quite a lot of data every month at our server we could, if you want, mirror something like this and just see what kind of traffic it brings. And if it reaches a point where it's a problem, we can always withhold it, but we do have the capability. Let's talk about that later, though. Peter Davenport joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. It's time to get real. It's time to prepare. Economic collapse, social unrest, natural disasters, government takeover, UN takeover. Are you ready? 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 Get ready at the Social Prepper Trade Show in Dalton, Georgia, June 6th, 7th, and 8th. Three massive days to learn self-reliance and emergency preparedness. Exhibitors ranging from survival, solar, power, food, protection, guns, ammo, disaster preparation products, hunting, and much more. Seminars by Dr. Wallach, Robert Henry, Raymond Blake Hogshead, Trish Deer, Sandy Hall, Rick Austin, Survivor Jane, and more of our nation's experts on survival and preparedness. Don't miss the Social Prepper Trade Show, June 6th through 8th, Dalton, Georgia. For discount tickets, prize raffle, and info, go to socialprepper.com. Enter code GCN for 50% online ticket discount purchase. The Social Prepper Trade Show, presented in part by GCN. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. These sightings are the kind of sightings that you have to say, every one of them sounds like the smoking gun, that something strange is going on. doesn't matter whether you think UFOs are spaceships, interdimensional, time travelers, whatever. This is stuff that we really have to look at. With Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center, with Gene and Chris on the Powercast, and we're discussing the things that Peter presented during his delivery and interrogation over there at the National Press Club at the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. Now, during your session, was the questioning tough at all or just pretty straightforward? Pretty straightforward. The members, former members of Congress, I felt did an excellent job, as I've mentioned earlier in this program, They were interested in getting to the heart of the matter. These are people who spent years and decades in Congress conducting hearings, and so they have an advanced or enhanced ability to get to the heart of the matter very quickly to conserve time. Yeah, and they got tougher and tougher as the week went on, too, I noticed. They uh, they got a little... A little bit more um, thin-skinned and a little bit more brittle, I think, as the as the week wore on, and and they really started really cutting to the chase. Uh, Kevin Randall <laughs> was a little uh, miffed, I think, at uh, at one point. I think he's written something on his uh, blog that stated that uh, he answered the same question three times and it was asked three different ways, and he got a little frustrated by that and kind of threw himself back in his chair at one point. <laughs> but that's Kevin. Uh- 
I did see Kevin uh, testify. I didn't note those three separate questions, but yeah, the members of the panel, I think they were getting exhausted. Five yeah. days yeah. of testimony, six to eight hours a day is a lot of work. Yeah. And they did a great job. I couldn't even sit in the chair and read for that amount of time, much less having to pay attention to what other long-winded people are having to say about a very... <laughs> you want uh, care to mention any names of these long-winded <laughs> presenters? Uh, well, I, I, I think I, I was probably one of the worst offenders, uh, but the members of the committee had a rough, rough job to pay attention and to stay awake for five days for that many hours per day. That's a tough job by my measure. So I can see why they'd be a little anxious to get right to the heart of the matter and dispose of people who were uh, uh, being long-winded and not, they were rambling and not getting to the point quickly. Well, obviously, yeah. if you're an attorney and a lot of these former members of Congress might just be, they're used to asking a question two or three different ways just to see whether there are any differences or variations in the testimony. Sure. Good point, I think. I have no complaints about the manner in which the committee members conducted their hearings, I thought they did an excellent job, really, of getting to the point very quickly and trying to get the witnesses to be uh, efficient and use their time wisely. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think they've come off pretty well uh, in the media as a, you know, in the aftermath of the hearings. I, I think initially there was some you know, poking at them uh, because of the fact that they're being paid 20000 to, to to do this, which, as they pointed out, is really not that much when you consider the amount of, of work that it took to, to at least be semi-prepared uh, going in. And uh, the fact that uh, they had to, like you say, sit there for, you know, 40, 50 hours and deal with the media and deal with, uh, you know, the, the more social uh, obligations that they would have from from participants and uh, yeah. people that were there. I, I saw them being pulled every which way during the breaks and and afterwards. And I, I do think they did a good job. And I think the media recognized that those uh, writers and, and reporters who were there and saw how they handled it, I think were impressed. I was. I thought they did a good job. I think one of the oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the the, the woman. I think uh, Bartlett. She seemed to be a little slow. Uh, she was kind of the weak link in the chain. I think the other members were a lot more, you know, finely honed in terms of yeah. of their Bartlett, knowledge and their approach. Bartlett was the gentleman from, I think, from Maryland. There yeah, was, I'm trying to remember uh, who she was. It was the lady with the short hair and the glasses. She seemed to be this kind of the slow one of the bunch. Former Congresswoman Woolsey. Woolsey, that's uh, it. Yeah, she's from she, California, San Francisco. There was yeah. former Congresswoman Kilpatrick from. She was really and, sharp. Yeah, and, and, and she didn't put up with anything either, boy. She would, uh, you know, kind of chide people if uh, if they weren't uh, answering her question properly. She'd stop them and say, "That's not what I asked you. I, I asked yeah. you this." And she got a little abrupt there towards the end, the last couple of days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. really, she did cut to the chase. I think better than any of them. Also. Uh, who was the um, the scientist, the chemical engineer was uh, not Gravel, but uh, I'm trying to remember who that was. He he was very good too. Oh, uh, Congressman Cook. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Or Bartlett. I think it was Cook. Yeah, he was the the, the the I think the oldest of the bunch, and and he really, I mean, being a former you know I think chemical engineer, if I'm not mistaken, he he listened to some of the more scientific. Uh, 
jargon that was put out by Stephen Greer and and, uh, and Tom Ballone at one point, and he was kind of scratching his head. I could see him thinking, I don't know about that. You know, this all sounds great if you don't know science, uh, but I, 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 don't, I don't think he was very impressed with that portion of the uh, technology panel. Uh, Congressman Bartlett, I think that was, uh, right. did a wonderful job. He... His questions were very good, and it was clear that he had a scientific background, they just as made evident by how he phrased his questions. He wanted, he wanted hard data, not just fluff. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it was a little fluffy uh, on some presenters' part. Uh, Linda Howe comes to mind of, of providing written materials to the Congress people and then sitting in a monotone voice reading it to them. I think at that point she was told that... Uh, you know, she normally in a congressional hearing, you only have five minutes and you don't have the uh, the luxury of having visuals. And and she was actually called out by name for kind of, I don't know, I don't know if you call it grandstanding, but um, with all the pregnant pauses and it just seemed to me to be uh, over the top. And I think most people really realize that uh, they really had to get up there, say their piece and uh, stay within the time constraints, which which were actually liberal for a. For a congressional hearing, liberal with me, I'm afraid I violated that myself. But uh, well, you 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 were starting the whole thing out, so you you didn't really know. You didn't. They were trying to flash uh, numbers at people. You have you know five minutes left. You have one minute left, and uh, I think everybody towards the second and third day really zeroed in on the time constraints and 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 attempted to to make their case as quickly as as they could and still be you know comprehended. Quick question here before we go on. That is. Do you think the minds of any of those members of Congress were changed? I got the impression that Senator Gravel takes it pretty seriously. Yeah. Do you think those who went in who were skeptical came out and said, you know, there's something really strange going on here. Yeah. I we think need to figure it out. Well, they actually said that. And, yeah, they all uh, said that. On a couple that. of occasions, I felt they were really uh, very forthright in saying we came into this hearing session really not well-schooled in the subject of UFOs, and we feel, we the committee members feel that we've had some excellent testimony here, and good, objective, reliable testimony. I found the testimony of the South America, the the military officers from South America, one of whom, at least one of whom, intercepted an object with a Sukhoi-22 jet fighter very compelling. And when he said he'd fired, six, I think he said 63 rounds of 30 millimeter cannon ammunition <laughs> at the object, and the object just absorbed them. Yeah, Even that's though he could see amazing. The projectiles hit, uh, that's pretty powerful testimony. Yeah. And he was so, so circumspect and so careful with how he described, uh, and, and it was pointed out by the Congress people how they were, they were, they were very impressed with his is very conservative, just sticking to the facts, not overstating anything, just being very matter of fact and circumspect about it. And, and and I agree. I mean, that was probably, I think, the most riveting personal testimony that uh, that we heard because, of course, yeah. we are. I think it was a colonel in the Air Force. So I, I mean, yeah. you know, he's a high-ranking officer that has a close uh, proximity encounter with a huge object, and and absorbing thirty millimeter cannon fire is just—it's you know what's up with that. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what—we're going well, to absorb a lot of stuff and a lot of abuse from our sponsors if we don't give them a break. 
<laughs> we have Peter Davenport joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Gary Cooper with Midas Resources Gold and Silver. Don't be surprised when the global elite confiscates money from your bank account one day. They have already very clearly telling you that they're going to do it. With what just happened in Cyprus serving as a blueprint for future bank bailouts. If you are concerned about keeping your money, why not consider storing your wealth in gold and silver? Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. Together we'll discuss your options of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130, and I will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits. Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. So, a natural disaster strikes, and out goes your power. You risk losing stored food in electric freezers and refrigerators. Your options, lose all that expensive food and medication, fire up a noisy gasoline-powered generator, or switch now to a propane or natural gas-powered refrigerator from Ben's Discount Supply. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com has a complete line of propane-powered refrigerators. Freezers in sizes ranging from a small camper cooler size up to a whopping 21-cubic-foot refrigerator freezer or a 22-cubic-foot deep freezer. In stock and ready to ship anywhere. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com also stocks a full line of solar-powered appliances to get you completely off the grid. Check out Ben'sDiscountSupply.com or call 800-771-7702. That's 800-771-7702. Or click Ben'sDiscountSupply.com for camping, home, or bug-out location. Bank on Ben'sDiscountSupply.com. Introducing a 30-day emergency food supply for only $99. At 30dayfoodsupply.com, you can purchase Oregon Trail Foods' one-month supply of high-quality, nutritious, and healthy emergency meals for less than $100. These vegetarian meals are all-natural, non-GMO, high in carbs and protein, and are packed with oxygen absorbers in Mylar pouches. They take up to 70% less space than number 10 cans, have a 20-year shelf life, and huge portions, over twice the serving size of some competitors' 
meals. Oregon Trail Foods and 30dayfoodsupply.com keep prices low by buying direct from producers in Oregon and then pass the savings on to you. Purchase a 30-day, 90-serving emergency food supply for only $99 this month and $10 ships your entire order to the lower 48. Call 541-673-6666 or visit 30dayfoodsupply.com where they make preparedness affordable. 30dayfoodsupply.com. Got it? Get it. Go to 30dayfoodsupply.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Discussing the riveting testimony at the citizen hearing on disclosure. Now, Chris and I focus on this last week where I was the anchor and he was the on-scene reporter as to what was going on. Peter Davenport was one of the presenters. So a lot of the very key information came to him. Now, of all the cases that you presented during these sessions and all the stuff you've investigated, if I brought you into my office and I said, Peter, I want to know the best case of all that demonstrates UFOs are real, solid aircraft of unknown origin, what do you think that singular case would be? Well, there are two cases that come to mind immediately. The first one is the Phoenix Lights case. Yeah. It's actually a misnomer because the event started over Henderson, Nevada, not Phoenix. Uh, this was on the Thursday night, the 13th of March, 1997. The other case that I would cite that I was not involved in, actually, was the case of Travis Walton in November of 1975, November 5th. Uh, those are the two most dramatic cases that I'm aware of. Now, of course, really? the big argument people make about Travis Walton, and we do hope he will accept our invitation to come on the Paracast. The argument is that at least one of the lie detector tests he failed, and that's always well, brought I'm, back to mind. I'm not aware of that. That's what I heard, I thought, that one of the tests he failed, or they claim that. Yeah, I haven't heard that report, but I know Travis Walton well. I hold him in very high regard. I've listen to his detailed description of his his experience back in November of 75. Uh, I first heard it, I think I can tell you the date, the 13th of March 1998, when I first met Travis, and his story hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, it's been rock solid for 30 plus years. Once you get to know Travis Walton, you realize just how straight a shooter this guy is. He, I'm impressed with the guy. He's very, very even keel. He's soft-spoken, self-effacing, and I can't believe he's done all of this and been consistent over the last 38 years. He couldn't have done that, I think, if it were all a hoax. In my opinion, a very dramatic case, a case in which a guy was aboard a saucer. It's that simple. Uh, it's a case where there are multiple witnesses. There were six guys sitting in a truck, his co-workers, looking out the window of the truck while all of this took place in front of them. It scared them so badly they decided to get out of the county, in my opinion, a very dramatic case. But the Phoenix Lights case was a good one. We estimate that it had to have been hundreds of thousands of people who saw those objects that spent almost two hours, maybe a little bit more than two hours, loitering over the state, as you pointed out earlier in this program, Chris, to include the governor of the state who lied for 10 years. He uh, did not share with his constituents or the public 
the fact that he had seen one of those objects. He made light of it, which uh, annoys me tremendously. Yeah. It really raises the question of whether he was pardoned by President Clinton in response to or as payment for the governor's remaining silent for 10 years. Did you know, Peter, that I was in, in Casa Grande, right uh, south, in, in between Phoenix and Tucson, uh, in a motel right on I-10, and the thing flew right over the motel, and I was in watching a basketball game. Oh, no. And I heard people hoot, hooting and hollering, and I thought they it was people watching the game. And, and then all of a sudden they broke in and said, we have – a special, you know, report uh, behind me. Uh, you see this huge object is hovering over the Estrella Mountains. And I'm like, what? And so I go outside and all these people are out there saying, oh, you missed it. It flew over. It was miles long. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> well, we got a report from Mrs. Stacy Rhodes, who was driving up Interstate 10 from Tucson up to Phoenix. Her husband was driving. She was in the passenger seat in the front seat. Her two children were in the back seat, and I think her mother-in-law. They saw the object as it straddled the highway. It was a huge craft, miles in width, and it completely blanketed out the sky above them as they drove under it. She estimates that they were doing 80 miles an hour. Uh, they were underneath it for an estimated one to two minutes, underscoring just how big the object was. And the object was going the opposite direction. It was going southeast towards Tucson. So it, they were in Casa Grande when they saw that object. It was a dramatic sighting. And that was one of only five, or only one of five triangular craft that were over Phoenix that night. In addition to a huge disk. How big the disk was, we have no idea, but people said it appeared to them to be very large, perhaps a mile or two in diameter. I just want to throw something out here because I mentioned the failure of a lie detector test on the part of Travis Walton. There is a section in the Wikipedia entry on the case that covers this, and obviously it's controversial as to the nature of those tests. It's called Suppressed Polygraph Exam on Controversy. And discusses the report of polygraph tests that he may have failed and what might have been the flaws. But those who want to get the pluses and minuses should look over that entry. And then when we have Travis Walton on, hopefully soon, we'll be able to question him about it. Fair enough, Peter? Yeah, sounds good. I've read Travis's book, and I'm going on memory now. Excellent book. I enjoyed it immensely. I uh, spoke with Travis down at the Eureka Springs Conference, I think it was April of 2011, so about two years ago. And I asked him that question, whether he had written his book by himself or whether he had somebody helping him with it. And he said he'd done it, every word he had written himself. Very interesting, very well-written book. Uh, one of the more remarkable and more memorable books in the field of ufology that I've read, his description of waking up apparently in the saucer that had abducted him and seeing these creatures standing around the gurney or the table that he's lying on is really very, very gripping. And what they looked like and his experience aboard that saucer, then he was, uh, he remembers being somewhere else on a, in a much larger facility perhaps a so-called mothership, a term many people use, 
Um, I I hope you can get him on so he can tell his own story. No, he's agreed to go on. It's just hard to pin him down. Yeah. Well, he's got a pretty extensive travel itinerary going to all of these conferences. He's in high demand. I'm not surprised. We're hoping so because every time we see Travis at a UFO event, we say, Travis, can you do an interview with us? He says, sure, sure. Contact me after this event and I'll be happy to do it. So then we contact him after the event. And maybe our reputation precedes us as being hard-nosed questioners here, as you know. Maybe, you know, he's having second thoughts, but we do hope he'll come on. We're not here to just disprove things. We just want to know what's going on. What happened to him? There you go. I would recommend you read his book before you interview him, because the latest edition of his book, because it's very good. It goes into great detail as to what happened his experience aboard the saucer and what happened subsequently to that, he does an excellent job of addressing every detail of it that I can imagine. I can imagine we have to do this break. Folks, you can find so much more of the things that we do if you go to our site, thepowercast.com, thepowercast.com. We have Peter Davenport joining Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. 
ceramic body armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel body armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686- Big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you. Has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day, unique affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927, 866-229-0927, or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, where Chris is in our special studio in a secret underground bunker, but not near a missile silo. I want to clarify that. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center with us. For those listeners who aren't familiar with your organization, Maybe spend a moment, give us the history of the organization and how people can get in touch with you, and then we'll get back to case histories. You bet. I welcome that opportunity. Uh, I became the director of the National UFO Reporting Center in late July of 1994, although it had been in existence almost 20 years at that point. Founded by Mr. Robert J. Gribble, a retired Seattle fireman who was very interested in the UFO phenomenon, had hosted a great many gatherings of people, who were involved in UFO research, and he ran the hotline for 20 years. How he did it, I don't know, but it's testimony to the the stamina of a uh, Seattle fireman. I took it over in July of 94, and it's the most remarkable job I've ever had in my life, taking UFO reports 24 hours a day. It's really quite remarkable. But essentially, we do two things. We provide a a facility where people may contact they may contact us most of all we ask them to submit their data a description of their experience or sighting in written form and we then make those reports available in the last 19 years i estimate that i have received somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000 reports over the telephone and over the internet 
we have about 76 or 78,000 reports posted. The smaller number of posted reports below the total number of reports I've received is because not everybody who contacts our center follows up with a written report. So we have fewer reports than otherwise could be the case if everybody followed up with a written statement, a written detailed statement of their experience and sighting. Here's an interesting factoid I'll share with our audience, which is a surprise to many people. I estimate that out of somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 individuals who have been witness to what most likely was a UFO, only one of those 10 to 20,000 people has ever reported it in a meaningful fashion. Meaningful fashion meaning they have not written it down, uh, they have not recorded the evidence indelibly in a fashion that allows us to share it publicly with other people. But uh, 76,000 reports, let's be conservative, that's a lot of reports. If uh, the UFO phenomenon is a hoax or not real, that's a lot of reports from people who have been mistaken by something. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Just very briefly here, or maybe we can get into more detail. It's feeling that when we cover UFOs, we concentrate on all these older cases, going back to Roswell in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Now, mentioning another organization, MUFON, it seems in 2012 there were quite a few sightings that they recorded. What's your experience been? Well, we have similar experiences between the National UFO Reporting Center and MUFON. I'm a member of MUFON. Um, I write a monthly article for the MUFON Journal, and Roger Marsh, the editor of that journal, and I compare notes and we're having similar experiences, similar number of reports. The trends that they see are similar to the trends that I believe are evident in the data that I post. So this happens, uh, it, it tends to corroborate. The experience of one organization corroborates what another organization is experiencing as well. So it's yet more corroboration of our suspicion that this phenomenon is very real and it is what it appears to be. Namely, we are receiving reports of, about the presence or apparent presence of alien spacecraft on the planet Earth, and it's been taking place for a long, long time, I suspect. Now, as you know, there are other theories about UFOs, because obviously we can say they appear to be extraterrestrial because they show all this evidence of advanced technology, some talk of interdimensional, time travelers, whatever. Do you think maybe it's a little premature to be saying spaceships before the investigation continues? Well, I suspect that interdimensional or time travel experiences are UFOs. They're one and the same. Creatures that have a command of physics, an understanding of physics that allows them to do this type of thing and to travel in the three-dimensional space that we are currently trapped in, four dimensions if you include time. But if people think that it's something other than what we ufologists have reported, I think they have a special responsibility to present their evidence that has led them to their conclusion. That's the scientific method. That's the system we rely on to get to the bottom of any complex or un uh, complex phenomenon that we don't understand well. Use the scientific method, I would recommend to them. Well, how does the scientific method say they're spaceships? I mean, we can say they're physical, we can say they seem to 
show maneuverability that's beyond what we can do. They're tracked on radar. They're photographed, and movies are taken of them sometimes. But how can we say they're extraterrestrial? It sounds like what well, else can it be? It's pretty simple from my vantage point. If they travel at 20,000 miles an hour, 50 feet, or 50 miles above the surface of the planet, that's not United Airlines Flight 263 headed to Buffalo. It's not a Canadian goose. So I think the evidence is fairly clear that we're dealing with something that is totally anomalous. And if you combine those reports with reports, which are fairly infrequent, but I feel in many cases well substantiated, reports from people who claim to have seen creatures, uh, I think that's enough evidence, certainly for me, to conclude that we almost certainly are dealing with craft that are of extraterrestrial origin, and they are piloted by creatures that are not from this planet. In my opinion, we have very solid evidence, and the one thing I'd like to do is build a passive radar system, the system I describe in the paper I wrote back in the spring of 2004 and presented at the MUFON Symposium in Denver, if we build one of those systems, we will be able to provide the evidence that, is, that uh, supports the statement I just made quite handily, I think. So that's what I'd like to do. We, we can collect the evidence. If the government is not going to share what it knows about UFOs, we're going to have to go around them, sort of an island-hopping exercise to just avoid or, or skip or ignore what the government has to say and generate our own objective uh, information on this phenomenon. Yeah. That's what I'd like to do. Now, I'm sure that Chris can come up with case histories of what I'm talking about here, and I'll ask Chris to do that. But do you ever get the impression that what we're seeing is not what's really there? And I don't mean illusions either. Are you, you get my drift. Are we seeing the actual event that's taking place before us, the anomalous event, or are we seeing what we think we should see or what we expect to see? And maybe I'm getting into a collective unconscious. It doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it is an alien. But are we seeing the to, actual event? I don't know how to answer the question. If they show up in photographs and show up on radar and people see them with their visual system, I... The conclusion that leads me to is the event is taking place. Uh, what the nature of the event is, we still have to explain. But uh, if you're talking about an imaginal event, uh, that takes us down a path that I really have no experience with. Uh, yeah, the, these objects do appear, obviously, to be uh, physical. Uh, but, you know, when you look at it... At multiple witness cases, for instance, and you interview everyone separately, there's there's general consistencies, but some of the details uh, tend to be uh, they don't always match, and they there, there tends to be some sort of skew or, or personal bias, and and I don't think that's a product of people misremembering uh, something. I've I've had cases where. You know, I've, I've actually been one of the multiple witnesses and I've been able to interview people almost immediately. And and you'll notice that there are certain subtle differences in how various people observe the same event. And Chris, I want to ask you about the specifics because this is what we're getting to. And we'll have Peter's reaction with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. If you're going to have a bunker, why not have an ultimate bunker? In case of pandemic outbreak, civil unrest, biological or nuclear fallout, or EMP attacks, stay safe in your own ultimate bunker. Built for lasting security for any need or budget. Manufactured in Salt Lake City, Utah, each ultimate bunker includes free food storage and all the comforts of home. Learn more at ultimatebunker.com. That's ultimatebunker.com. Or call 801-661-3900. Ultimate Bunker. You can't do better than the ultimate. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Gardeners, here comes another growing season, but don't use last year's soil. Maximize yields in your survival garden with EM1 from Terragonics. EM1 is an organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant that provides a broad spectrum of beneficial microorganisms, enzymes, trace minerals, vitamins, and various organic acids. EM1 helps regulate the soil's pH level and its soil microbes, improving moisture retention and drought tolerance. Remember last year's dry conditions? EM1 from Terragonics is safe, chemical-free, and certified for use on all organic farms. It 
improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, and gives up to 20% more nutrient value in fruits and vegetables and greatly increases shelf life. And EM1 is so simple to use, just mix with water and apply. This year, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. So, are UFOs what we think they are? So we see solid metallic aircraft, but if we saw that in connection with our culture of a thousand years ago, what would they appear to be, or is just that the way a primitive people would have observed this particular phenomenon. Who knows? Well, that's Chris, language. you were getting that's, into more detail about this yeah. in our conversation with Peter Davenport. That, that's languaging, Gene. I think that there's, uh, obviously, there's going to be some sort of uh, difference uh, just based on how we language uh, these, uh, try to explain to each other these unusual events that, that are high strange enough uh, for us not to obviously consider them to be be normal by any stretch. But, but that's the in- point I was bringing up, which is the point is that depending on our culture, we will interpret it in the form of our understanding of what's going on. So if we saw gods coming from the skies, we'd interpret it that way. If we're living in a culture where we're talking about spaceships, our sci-fi culture, they will appear to be spaceships. So Chris, you were talking about variations among witnesses that seem to be different than just the normal level of misinterpretation. Yeah, the two things that really stick out in my mind, the two areas where you you are most likely to see some sort of personal bias or skew has to do with the actual time of the event, the duration of the event, and the actual um, uh, step-by-step uh, descriptions of, of what it did first, what it did second, what it did third, and how long it took to do those things. I, that, sometimes that can be just wildly uh, variation from one account to the other. I don't know if you've uh, found this, Peter, but but um, you know it, it. It just seems that the duration of the event and the and the actual sequence or chain of events, so first, second, third, and fourth, those things tend to be the things that are are um, most prone to to being uh, have some sort of variance to them. But also other. Uh, Details uh, when people describe a particular craft, um, you, you can sometimes get people describing what it appears to be uh, different objects, even though they're seeing you know, ostensibly the, the same object. So yes. this is not always the case by any stretch, but when it does happen, it makes me wonder if perhaps a certain aspect of the experience is personalized uh, by the witness and it it actually can be, let's say, two or three different things at once. And also also objects morphing. I've had a number of reports where objects appear to be one uh, shape and size and they can divide up into three, go back together. Uh, You can have multiple objects that, that seem to coalesce together. I'm not sure if a physical spacecraft and of course you know the author c clark you know any technology advanced beyond ours will appear as magic i mean even keeping that in mind it just seems that some sometimes these objects almost appear to be uh alive they almost appear to be biological uh and 
you know, there's a lot about this, obviously, that we don't know. I'm sure the government has a ton of information that we don't have, and that's why they're probably that much more confused, I think, than most of us are. I've said that many times. But I, I do get a sense, and I've always had a sense, that there's elements that, that are beyond a nuts and bolts ETH explanation, synchronicities, these meaningful coincidences that occur that, that are just too improbable to be uh, by chance or by coincidence. You know, there's elements in there that I think uh, deserve more attention. Of course, Jacques Vallée, John Keel, uh, others have come up with similar observations over the years. But I think we still need to be uh, at least open-minded enough to consider other possibilities and, and look at some of this this sort of hidden skew factor, which uh, I don't think enough attention is paid to. I'm off yeah. my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, we all have our own respective soapboxes, don't we? Well, yep. anything is possible, but I think the bottom line with the UFO phenomenon is it appears to be a very real phenomenon. People are seeing objects for which they have no terrestrial explanation or terrestrial-based right. explanation. People are seeing, from time to time, they see very unusual creatures suggesting that they've come from someplace other than from Earth. And I think it warrants the full attention of the world's human population. We're dealing, we're, I think, on the verge of a major epiphany, a paradigm shift, some people call it, in realizing that we're not the only living creatures in this galaxy. Mm. And that, my opening statement to the committee uh, eight days ago was, it appears that the UFO phenomenon is real, and it is the greatest scientific question that has ever confronted man. Are we alone, or are we not? From my vantage point at the National UFO Reporting Center, it appears that we are not alone, and we should be studying this this phenomenon aggressively on all fronts, and we should be pressing our government to share with us what it knows about this phenomenon. It must know the truth for sure. You really think they know the truth? Absolutely, I do. When sense of truth, do they know the truth that, as you feel, it's E.T., or do they know a farther truth or a greater truth that they know exactly where they're from? Well, I suspect both. They're not mutually exclusive questions. They probably have had communication with them, but that's conjecture on my part. Uh, certainly they would want that communication. They would want to learn where they've come from, uh, what they're capable of. Uh, it cuts to every facet of our existence, where we've come from, uh, what our purpose is here on planet Earth, uh, what our future may be, and so on and so forth. It's a very, very important question, and certainly the U.S. government would realize that fact, and they would want to communicate with these creatures. I suspect that communication has taken place, and if it has, I want the U.S. government to share that information with the American people. They have yeah. a responsibility. Yeah, we have a right to know. In a totalitarian state, we would not have the authority and the right to know, but our government purports to be representative of the American people. And that's a completely different situation from a totalitarian state. They have a responsibility to tell us what's going on. I was rather shocked last week to discover or to realize that apparently members, senior members of Congress are not aware of the phenomenon. 
that really surprises me. Yeah. So yeah, basically, I'm, we're saying here that there are no intelligence briefings. Were any of these people in Congress involved with any of the intelligence committees? Because that would give them access if there is access. Both intelligence and military, both, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, Congressman Bartlett okay. was on the uh, defense uh, committee. He professed to have no knowledge of the government's participation or exploration of the UFO phenomenon. I wish I'd had a chance to sit down with Congressman Bartlett and point out that the U.S. Navy, with its naval space surveillance system, certainly would have been in a position to detect UFOs. You'd have to think they did or would have. But what about other countries? This is a dilemma that Chris and I discussed last week, and that is that we have other countries who don't have our interests at heart. We can see where the U.K., USA, Japan, France, Australia, etc., we're all in lockstep. But then we look at Russia, we look at China, we look at countries in parts of the world that are certainly not consistent with our goals. Look at North Korea. Now, obviously, if there are sightings here, there are sightings in North Korea. Obviously, they have military officials there who might be investigating. Couldn't they use that as leverage? One country pitted against another to reveal what it knows about UFOs? How can the entire world keep the secret? They could indeed, but in the case of North Korea, the example you've cited, uh, it's a totalitarian state. Everybody's afraid of everything. Sometimes I wonder about my own country with respect to that issue. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you military. mentioned it, because if you hadn't, I would have. Well, they're listening to this show. We know that. We know it's somewhere in the NSA right now, one of those big mainframe computers. Of course. And uh, I've talked to senior military people. As I mentioned during my presentation at the hearing, I've had communications with people who are, have stars on their shoulders, and they admit that things have happened that they find to be very mysterious and very uh, dramatic, but they are in the military. They do what their commander orders them to do or not do. They don't want to sour their career They, if they're on the verge of retirement. Are they going to go against the prevailing attitude in, of the government or prevailing position that UFOs are not real? I don't think so. Uh, too so much to that lose. That explains why these people haven't come forward in greater numbers than has been the case. There are a few exceptions. I'll That's tell you what, we'll get to those exceptions and more. We have Peter Davenport joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. 
We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption, Absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg. So, in the days after the so-called whistleblower hearing of Congress over Benghazi, we're interested in whistleblowers who come forth with information about UFOs. Peter Davenport? Yeah, what did you think of this uh, anonymous character, uh, the the interview that Richard Dolan had with him, and then it turns out that Linda Howe evidently had met him 20 years ago and had done three days' worth of interviews. I forget how many uh, hours, but she claimed that she had sat with the guy for just uh, several days. What did you think of his testimony? Well, it's interesting, but... Like any testimony, like any evidence, it has to be vetted. I would like to know the man's name. I'd like to know the details of his history. I'd like to see his military record. I'd like to see all of that before I say, yes, he's, he seems legitimate, or no, he's not legitimate. Let's let's maybe give our listeners a little thumbnail sketch of some of the the things that he alleged, and and so that people who haven't had the chance maybe to see that testimony or read about it uh, can be brought up to speed. Yeah. Uh, a gentleman, probably in his 70s, I would guess, who was videotaped, uh, appeared to be in a motel room somewhere, interviewed by Richard Dolan, who's a very skilled skilled UFO investigator with a very good reputation in the community, I think, interviewing this gentleman about his career in the military and how he had been trained in signals, uh, right. you know, essentially in the electronic branch of, I think, the U.S. Army, as he said. No, cryptology. He was a cryptologist. Cryptologist. He was tasked in various responsibilities, tasked uh, to do several things that suggested to him that the UFO phenomenon was real. Why he's remaining anonymous, why he would appear in the video 
so everybody can see his face, but on the other hand, remain anonymous to the viewers, I couldn't figure out. Didn't make sense to me. Plus, he's, he was in very poor health. He said his kidneys were about ready to shut down, and he didn't really have long to live, is the feeling that one got from looking at him. And he did sound pretty uh, pretty weak and uh, not, very, not in very good health. Yep. I wonder, though, when you have a case like that where somebody is a death's door, they have no vested interest and no reason to lie. Do they want to go out in a blaze of glory? What? And that raises the question of why he chose to remain anonymous to his audience in the video. I, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, no. He's certainly showing his face, so people in the government are going to know who he is. Right. If, in fact, he had a career in the military. So it was very interesting. He said a lot of interesting things about what he had been witness to in his long career in the military. Now the work begins. Let's start analyzing what he said in detail no. and try to document it. That's That would be my approach to it, and I presume it would be the same for Richard uh, Dolan or Linda Moulton Howe, who presented that film, I guess, sort of jointly. I don't know what the relationship is between the two of them with regard to investigating this case, but that is yet to be brought to the public. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to get Dolan back on the show and have him talk about this in more detail and see what happens. Now, the other issue, of course, be hypothetically, maybe this guy doesn't have a living family anymore. He's all alone, so it doesn't matter what happens. Could be. Uh, I don't know. I can only but conjecture. That's why I call for an investigation of the case. Um, I'd like an explanation of why he showed his face on a video, but he didn't share his name. That seems odd. Yeah, it does seem odd. You'd think that they would have uh, possibly filmed him in shadow or with dark glasses and a hat on or something to sort of obscure his features. I mean, it'd be very easy with even the most rudimentary facial recognition software to, to figure out who he is if you're if you're so inclined. And uh, especially, you know, if it's if he is ex-military or ex-CIA, um, you know, that would be very easy for them to figure out who it is. But if there could be no repercussions, who cares? Exactly. So that's, you know, Peter's point exactly. Why why expose yourself and expose your phys physical uh, nature and, and not uh, and divulge your name as well? It, it kind of was, made me scratch my head a little bit. And quite frankly, some of the things that he was alleging um, do run counter to the pop culture view of some of these things that... Uh, I think, well, what did he say, that we first actually were in contact with uh, these extraterrestrials, uh, I think in the late 50s, uh, if I'm not mistaken, which runs counter to some people's uh, belief that uh, Eisenhower was made aware of them very early in his uh, presidency, possibly yeah, at Holloman Air Force Base. I think he did address the Eisenhower administration. Yeah, but it, I think he said 59, I think, is when he said the uh, the actual meeting took place. And, and it didn't sound like the stories that we've heard over the years of the Holloman encounter with the with the big-nosed uh, grays or the orange oranges or however that sort of uh, – it's almost an urban myth, I think, by now. But, uh, you know, when he was supposedly going to the dentist in Palm Springs, he snuck to, out to Holloman or something. I – Forget the details of the probably something coming from John Lear. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Maybe he's afraid of dentists. No, possibly. Or the the big nosed uh, Greys had um, exalted dental technology or something. Maybe he you know, needed needed some real extra special work. Who knows that? But that's the it's an example of how much work there is. 
to be done by ufologists. When you present a case like this or a witness, an alleged witness, then all the vetting has to be done. The details of what he has to say has got to be investigated and corroborated, and only then can you say that this testimony is true or not true. Well, you would think that Linda, having met him back in the early 90s, would have done quite a bit of investigation and research about his background and and really dug into it. And she would have, you would think, come forward now that he's come out with, uh, you know, kind of the encouragement from Richard Dolan that, that Linda would say, yes, uh, I've checked into this guy. He is who he says he is. I, I haven't heard any of that from her. Yeah. Well, she's both an investigator and a reporter, and sometimes you hop back and forth between uh, you wear the both those hats well she also kind of sounds like a genetic uh, scientist the way she comes up with these blanket statements that uh, aliens are here gathering genetic material for cloning experiments i mean that's pretty i mean it's pretty cut and dried and direct i would love to see uh you know see a, a paper on that you know yep and why an alien would be collecting Terrestrial DNA is not clear to me because terrestrials may not use DNA to pass information from one generation to the next, which I presume takes place. Well, she says that they're collecting it from cattle. Well, my argument to that has been for years, well, if they're collecting genetic material in blood and fluids and stuff from cattle for some sort of genetic uh, cloning project, as she claims, why not just break into a slaughterhouse or a rendering plant and you get as yeah. much blood and fluid as you could possibly ever want? Why do you have buy to pick on... Yeah. Buy a pound of hamburger at the local market. <laughs> why do they have to butcher the animal? doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense at all. Well, of course, you can also go to a doctor's office and steal a few samples, a few blood samples for human beings. Yeah. There's another argument that... Go to a blood Why bank. does E.T. need to collect the genetic samples from millions of people why can't they just collect from each sexual and racial category? And that's it. Yeah. Young, old, how long does it take? Although there are theories that there are genetic messages that are kept there in one's DNA. I mean, those are things we can argue about, but I don't know if it makes any sense to get yeah, into that. Peter, We're getting into unknown territory. Peter, how come aliens still collect rock samples and pick flowers and look and appear to look at them like they don't know what they are? Don't you think it would just take something the size of a of a beer keg and orbit around the planet that would even with our technology be able to ascertain incredible amounts of, of facts and data? Why do they always seem to be kind of playing out this this uh, explore landing and, and, and looking around and seeing things for the first time? They've been here for probably thousands of years. How come they're still having to collect, you know, pick up rocks like they've never seen them before? Before Peter answers that question, we have to stop the door break. We are engaged in a fascinating discussion with Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Council, and we're trying to figure out, reporting center rather, we're trying to figure out what's happening with UFOs, what the various sources could be, where they come from. Are they really E.T.? With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? 
Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. The location, Denver Convention Center. Timeline, June 27th through 29th, 2013. The event, the Doomsday Expo. Our world and nation are changing. It's time for an educational experience that will enlighten you and the entire family at the Doomsday Expo, June 27th, 28th, and 29th at the Denver Convention Center. Check out the latest survival products, learn valuable survival techniques, meet other preppers, and meet guest speakers, including Dr. Joel Wallach, Scott Hunt, Jay Blevins, and more. Boost your knowledge with seminars on natural disaster preparedness, long-term prepping, survival gardens, self-defense, off-grid living, and financial planning. Ladies will get a valuable female perspective on family defense and preparedness. There's even a casting call for Nat Geo's Doomsday Preppers, and everyone will enjoy the first dry food cook-off. Tickets are just $14 for all three days and a Saturday evening concert. Mark your calendars for June 27th through 29th, and get all the details at DoomsdayExpo.com. DoomsdayExpo.com. Preparation starts here. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. 
And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. From the National UFO Reporting Center, which has been around for many years, and I remember when Robert Gribble was in touch with it before you took over Peter Davenport, we're talking here about, I guess, the strange things that happen when creatures are seen about UFOs, where they seem to kind of repeat the same scene over and over again, like you're playing a loop. They're collecting soil samples. They're doing this, they're doing that. They're doing the other thing, which seems to argue against just a simple alien visitation. How many times do they need to do the same thing before they get the evidence they need or the data, whatever? Peter? Well, I don't have an adequate answer for that. Uh, the only thing I can say is we may be dealing with different strains, different species of aliens that visit this planet. My suspicion is that if there is one civilization in our galaxy outside our own, that is, there must be many of them. Uh, what we may be looking at is just different species coming here, and they're interested in the science of our planet. They would collect inorganic material as well as organic material, just the way scientists today on the planet Earth are collecting that information about the species that they encounter around the world. So no. I don't know that it's so unusual what they do. I don't know how many reports there are or may be of aliens collecting rock samples and water samples and so on. And Picking flowers. biological samples as well. <laughs> I'd like to know that the answer to that question first. Yeah. You know, when I think of something like E.T., where you have the childlike alien creature depicted in the Steven Spielberg film, I think space camp. So the aliens go to Earth, a typical planet. <laughs> we're a science project. Planet. Maybe we're considered very primitive to them. And they say, okay, we're now going to collect samples, just like you dissect a frog in elementary school. Now, how yeah. many frogs do you have to dissect before you get the information you need? It's not that. It's training the children a little bit about biology. So we have the alien <laughs> kids go to space camp, and they come to Earth or other planets, and they take samples, not because they need those samples. It's to train these kids how it's done. Peter, what do you think about that? <laughs> I like it. We're, we're a giant plausible. science project. <laughs> there, there are many, many, many plausible explanations. Presumably one or only very few of them are correct. This is where science comes in to try to get samples, uh, a sample of the events you allude to. How many alien species visit our planet? We don't have an adequate explanation for that question, I feel. In fact, we don't even have proof, hard proof, that everybody accepts that one species visits the planet. The scenario that you've spun is quite possible, Gene. Uh, now we have uh, where the hard work comes in is trying to prove it. And right. that's what I'm engaged in, I feel, as a scientist. I'm trained in the scientific method. I have a graduate degree in genetics and biochemistry. I recognize how difficult coming up with answers to those questions. The, the questions are simple to formulate. The answers to those questions are much more difficult to come up with in a satisfactory fashion. I don't know the answer to the question, but I do feel there's enough evidence in the UFO domain to warrant the aggressive, detailed investigation of the phenomenon. You have to yeah. think, Peter, that we really need to get a hold of something here, and the question is here in terms of the governments. If our government or any government has guilty knowledge, not just that UFOs may be ET, but 
they are in communication with those beings. How do we bring disclosure? How do we make them tell what they know? Well, we elect people to office who run on a platform of the truth. Yeah, but you kind of think that we've had presidential candidate, I'm thinking of Carter, who seemed to want to get to the bottom of it. But what seems to happen is the day they're in office, the agenda always changes. Or Clinton. There's another example. Sure, yeah. Apparently uh, dispatched one of his lifelong friends, Webster Hubble, who was writing a book, to find out the truth to two answers. The answers to two questions, I should say. Number one, who killed Kennedy and why? And the other one was UFOs. Is the phenomenon real or not? And Webster Hubble was not able to do that. However, I suspect that Clinton woke up. Even if he had not been briefed on the UFO phenomenon, he woke up very quickly on the evening of the 13th of March, 1997. My suspicion is, and this is pure conjecture, this is an interesting coincidence that President Clinton's injury that he allegedly sustained down in Florida when he was spending that night at the home of Greg Norman may have been related to the Phoenix Lights. The president's injury took place within seconds or minutes of the intercept of that huge craft over Phoenix. Enlighten us. What, what happened to him? I, for, I, forget, I forgot about this little detail. Well, what happened to him? The morning of Thursday, the 13th of March, 1997, the President of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton, flew from Washington, D.C. down to Florida to spend the day playing golf with uh, Greg Norman, the Australian professional golfer. That night, President Clinton spent the night at the home of Greg Norman, and that is when the President allegedly sustained extensive injuries to his knee. He collapsed or fell or injured it somehow and was spirited back to Washington, D.C., again, allegedly. Well, that injury, and I've been talking about this phenomenon now for 16, over 16 years, I brought this to the attention of the American public the night after the Phoenix Lights event had occurred. My suspicion is the president may, if in fact he was injured, that he may have been injured in the course of his being taken from the home of Greg Norman to a military safe area. And in the haste to get him to that military facility, they may have injured him as the Secret Service was chaperoning him out of the home of Greg Norman. Interesting, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because, boy, or once they once they get the order to move, boy, they do move. <laughs> yeah. we. I mentioned earlier in this program that I've talked to senior military officers. One of the bits of information I've received from a senior officer is that, yes, indeed, U.S. military forces were elevated from Defense Condition 5 to Defense Condition 3 as a result of the Phoenix Lights intercept. One of the objects was intercepted by two F-15C C-model fighters over the intersection of Indian School Road and 7th Avenue. Right. Well, it was shortly after that that allegedly U.S. military forces were elevated to Defense Condition 3, DEFCON 3. That's one step short of global warfare, I'm told. I know very little about the defense condition levels, and that's for good reason. The military doesn't share them publicly. So my suspicion is the president of the United States, President Clinton, if he didn't know about UFOs before the night of the Phoenix Lights event, he certainly did the night of that event, and he may have been injured as a result. That would be an interesting question uh, for somebody to ask him at a press conference, just kind of spring that one out of nowhere and say, hey, by the way, Bill, remember that night that you messed up your knee? How did that actually happen? (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, that actually happened on the Jay Leno program. It was Thursday night, Thanksgiving evening of 2001. Uh, it was not President Clinton. It was uh, Greg Norman, the golfer, who was a guest, the featured guest on the uh, Jay Leno program. And in fact, Jay Len that was the first question that Jay Leno posed to his guest. What actually happened to the president? We'll have to have the answer in our next segment. What did he say when Jay Leno posed that question? We have Peter Davenport joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com What's more amazing than a Swiss Army knife? A survival business card. It's 11 functions rolled into one pocket-sized tool, including a sharp knife, a saw, a bottle opener, a can opener, too. It even has a wrench. It lays flat, fits right in your wallet. A survival multi-tool for your wallet, leather-like sheath included, designed to be practical and built to last yours free. That's right, free. Claim yours right now while supplies last at freesurvivaltool.com. Again, that's freesurvivaltool.com. Bills in front of Congress right now could take away your right to keep and bear arms. If Obama has his way, all guns will be either banned, restricted, or confiscated, possibly by executive order. The best way to keep your guns is to hide them. What Obama can't find, Obama can't take away. You can protect your guns from any threat. Download our special report, How to Hide Your Guns, at GoHideYourGuns.com. Learn how to hide your guns while keeping them readily available. Get the report now before they make us take it down. On the web at GoHideYourGuns.com. Uh, we travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind. Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets. But fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television. As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home. Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet, just like a light on a timer. And they're so easy to use, you just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs. Fake TV is only $29.95 with free shipping. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. 
ceramic body armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel body armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. We the people grow cotton, we fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800 686 this is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. We have two more segments, folks, and on this segment, Chris will read a few questions from our audience from the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, Peter. Jay Leno asked the question about Clinton. What was the response? Well, Greg Norman stated, as I remember, this is now uh, almost 12 years ago, he gave the standard conventional response. The president and he were standing out in the driveway of his home, and the president had a ham sandwich, and he was holding a, uh, a beverage of some some variety. I think he said a soft drink. And the president's knee just gave way, and he collapsed in the driveway of uh, Greg Norman's home. That's what I recall. Mm-hmm. This could be documented by going back to the archive of the right. program. That, that sounds a little kind of fishy to me. <laughs> yeah, particularly given that the president was a jogger. Is yeah. probably uh, the musculature in his legs was probably in pretty good shape. And, but I don't know. This is the problem in dealing yeah. with a government that is insensitive to its its people, uh, the electorate. Yeah. I've actually called the U.S. Air Force office in the Pentagon and requested documentation as to or confirmation as to whether U.S. military forces were elevated from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 3 on March 13, 1997. And of course, they all but laughed at me. They said, this is not material that we generally release. Although, I don't believe that statement, because from time to time, we do hear reports that the U.S. military is raised to an elevated defense condition. What do you do with people who are in the military or elected officials who lie to the people who put them there? Well, my reaction is fire them. Get rid of them. Well, then you'd have nobody working there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting that we should um, be talking about the government and and their responsibility to to the electorate. I have a question here from one of our longtime posters, uh, Spooky Mulder, he calls himself. And he's asking an interesting question. And he says, if you guys don't mind, I'll let you format this question if it's relevant. But... Peter, have you ever weighed in one way or another publicly on the arrangement, that the apparent arrangement between Robert Bigelow and his aerospace company, UFO reports uh, going to him once their people contact the FAA and uh, they're told to call Bigelow Aerospace uh, to make the report? Uh, have you ever weighed in publicly on that? Absolutely, I have. In fact, I fought 
the apparent decision by the FAA in June of 2001 to shift their policy from forwarding reports to the FAA or from the FAA to the National UFO Reporting Center. We had enjoyed those reports for probably 20 years or so. And when NIDS made that statement, I think it was the 21st of June, 2000, the year 2000, I guess it was, not 2001, we contested it. And we got the, it took us nine or ten months to get the FAA to reverse their decision. Why they made that decision, I don't know. What took place between NIDS or Bigelow or Alexander and the FAA in Washington, D.C., I don't know. But we were successful. We, I made the proposal to the FAA that what they should do is simply publish contact information for six or eight of the major UFO investigative bodies. MUFON, FUFOR, KUFOS, the National UFO Reporting Center, NIDS, NARCAP, and so on, just publish them in their AIM, the Airman's Information Manual, and let the FAA or an individual decide whom he wishes wished to contact. That was my proposal. In the final analysis, the FAA chose uh, NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science, the organization set up by Bob Bigelow, headed by Colin Kelleher, and the National UFO Reporting Center. So those two organizations appear published in that FAA handbook. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's always rubbed me the wrong way that um, reports of this nature can disappear into the black hole known as Bigelow Aerospace or, or formerly known as NIDS. Uh, yeah. It doesn't serve the public, I think. In, in the short term and in the long run. And I, I think it, it's creating even more problems uh, around this whole issue of secrecy and and transparency. I, to me, it's not right. And I, I think that everyone should have access to this type of data. I think that if one group is given preference over others, it, it just doesn't serve the public uh, good. And you know, I, I I really admire the work that you've done, and I have a question here from a very good ufologist who's up in Calgary, Alberta, and he wants to know if you've considered instituting some kind of rating system for the reporting center based on any standard of UFO reporting, such as Valet's uh, rating system or the Hynek system. And, um, for example, he says, in Hynek system, uncorroborated reports were never given a probability rating higher than three out of nine. And he, he's wondering what percentage of your reports in the database would fall into this uncorroborated category. I know that's yeah. a really difficult question off the top of your head, but give us kind of a ballpark. Yeah, well, I don't have a rating system because I don't have a staff, I don't have a budget, I don't have a facility, and I don't have the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. working as hard as I can yeah. to handle the now roughly between 500 and 1,000 reports that come to our center, and I'm falling behind faster and faster and farther yeah. and farther. Uh, well, how do we get you some help? Do you have a budget for me? Well, yeah, let's get a budget and some help for you. I think I okay. think you deserve it. If Thanks. anybody out there deserves it, you're the guy. Well, let me uh, ask you a question here, Peter, though. The difficult question here. If Bob Bigelow comes up and says, Peter, here's a half a million dollars, but we control the release or lack thereof of the information. <laughs> yeah. How would you well, react? I address that. I, I mentioned earlier in this program that I met with Bob Bigelow and his uh, staff 
on two occasions, October 6, 1995, and then again the 29th of July, 1999. And after that second meeting, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted an unfettered access to all the data that came to the National UFO Reporting Center, and he wanted the best cases that came into us for follow-up investigation. And that was the sticking point, is what we do with the cases, the good cases. And he didn't want them posted to our website. He said, we're not going to release those good cases. We're going to investigate them quietly and get to the bottom of them. And I said, well, Bob, that that's not what I want to do. And that was the beginning of the parting of ways between Bob Bigelow and Peter Davenport. Mm. He was very cordial. He was very friendly. He was very considerate. I find him a very interesting guy. We, I've enjoyed our conversations, but we have different philosophies uh, with regard to what should be done with the data that comes to our center. So, uh, Well, he obviously doesn't think us lowly uh, people have a, a need or a right to know any of this information. Yeah. It, it, and to me, it's it's really sad. <laughs> I agree, and that was my reaction. I I feel this information that I collect belongs to the American people. That's the philosophy that keeps me moving forward. If we're being visited by UFOs and the government is going to lie to the American people and the press is not going to cover that, certainly at the national level, then that is all the motivation I need to continue doing what I'm doing to share this information with the American people. This is crucially important information, and my life is dedicated to getting that information out to the American people. Well, if we have somebody in the audience who has a spare half a million or a million dollars, and there are no conditions other than the money be used to fund research. Or have some time that they could devote to help Peter out. Well, well, the I, first thing we need is a, a much greater organization uh, with staff members and with a facility where staff members can gather and do the work and answer the telephone. But until that happens, I'm uh, limited to working on my own, and uh, been, it's been pretty successful. I think the National UFO Reporting Center has the largest largest database of UFO reports available on the Internet today. Yeah. And that's one person with one telephone, one computer, one tape recorder, and one very dedicated webmaster. We have so, one, yeah. also, one segment left of our session with Peter Davenport, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. 
Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. If you love pineapple as much as I do, I've got some great news for you. You're going to love this offer from Freeze Dry Guy. For the month of May, Freeze Dry Guy is offering the finest quality freeze dried pineapple, a case of six number 10 cans yielding 114 servings at a special introductory price. First quality freeze dried pineapple grown and packed with nothing added. This healthy treat works wonders with salad, is great for snacking, hiking, hunting, camping, and for adding to your food storage program. And please note that Freeze Dry Guy's foods will store on your shelf for decades. Order now and get free shipping to your front door within the lower 48 states. This special introductory price is good until May 31st. For more information and a free complete product list, go to freezedryguy.com or phone 866-404-3663. freezedryguy.com 866-404-3663. So, a natural disaster strikes, and out goes your power. You risk losing stored food in electric freezers and refrigerators. Your options, lose all that expensive food and medication, fire up a noisy gasoline-powered generator, or switch now to a propane or natural gas-powered refrigerator from Ben's Discount Supply. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com has a complete line of propane-powered refrigerators. Freezers in sizes ranging from a small camper cooler size up to a whopping 21-cubic-foot refrigerator freezer or a 22-cubic-foot deep freezer. In stock and ready to ship anywhere. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com also stocks a full line of solar-powered appliances to get you completely off the grid. Check out Ben'sDiscountSupply.com or call 800-771-7702. That's 800-771-7702. Or click Ben'sDiscountSupply.com for camping, home, or bug-out location. Bank on Ben'sDiscountSupply.com. Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D and our colloidal minerals all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center joining Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Chris has a little bit more input from the question bank section at forum.theparacast.com. Chris? I do indeed, Gene. This is from Lenny from Maine, who's uh, been a Paracast listener since October of 2012. And he hasn't posted much on the uh, forum, but uh, he did post a question for you. And we kind of touched on this uh, at the beginning of the show, Peter, but uh, Lenny wants to know what your thoughts are on the event that you that we've been talking about, uh, the citizens hearing on disclosure. And you mentioned that you thought that this could possibly have some sort of impact 
uh, more so than we, we're seeing right now. And he wants to know what effect do you think that that event can have in the long run? And also, do you have any suggestions uh, for better ways to successfully get mainstream coverage of events like that and still get this and have, have it be serious coverage? Yeah, it's a good question. I've got to close the door here to silence a uh, lawnmower outside. Uh, good question. I, in fact, I think the citizen hearing for disclosures already had an effect. It, the night, uh, the last night of the hearings, the New York Times published an article for the first time in its history on the subject yeah. of UFOs, except mm-hmm. possibly for Leslie Kane's very nice article and writings in years past. But that was uh, that was a breakthrough. Yeah, what has time. taken the New York Times so long to address the subject? I don't know because the Chicago Tribune and the Los Angeles Times both have done major articles on major events. Uh, uh, there was a front page article about the National UFO Reporting Center on the front page of the LA Times on Friday, the twenty eighth of March, two thousand eight. Why the New York Times has been so slow to rise to this? I don't know rise to the subject and cover it is a mystery to me. It was also a very also, fair and balanced article. Yeah. They I'll have covered it in the past, but they've they've really slammed this subject and and they've given it no no real uh credence really. I mean they've just yeah. kind of just been very offhand. They there have been articles but this is the first one that they've actually been objective, even handed and, and even even positive. I I agree. And uh that's the first good effect. I think also the members of the committee at the citizens' hearing are going to write a letter to their colleagues who are still in Congress urging them to pay attention and to reveal to the American people what the U.S. government may know. The, I suspect even members, senior members of Congress may not know the truth about this, yeah. and it underscores the danger, once again underscores the danger of a military-industrial complex that is insensitive to the interests and needs and demands of the American people. No. So it, it launches us into the political arena fairly quickly. That Just waking people up is a first good step, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing you also have to see here is that it's also possible that one way to keep a secret like this is to send it to the military-industrial complex. You send it out to private industry. So you can yeah. say with plausible deniability, we don't have the information. It's not here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll have a positive effect, and the members of the committee at the hearing were, some of them had considerable tenure and seniority in Congress. These are people who can't be ignored, even though they're no longer in Congress. They still have colleagues there who whom they consider to be friends, and uh, they may be successful in convincing people who are still in Congress to press the issue. And I, I don't probably the use of the word threaten the military is too strong, but yeah. <laughs> Congress controls the purse strings. They can say we want to know or else we're not going to fund certain programs. Yeah, I, I really seriously doubt that that they're going to make any headway uh, with the U.S. Congress. I, that's my own personal feeling. But I think the idea uh, that Danny Sheehan and uh, some of the the volunteers that, that have been helping out uh, writing some sort of uh, proposal to be submitted to the General Assembly of the UN, get a country to sponsor um, some sort of of um, 
you know, an idea for a commission, a multi-international sort of multidiscipline commission looking at this subject, because quite frankly, I really don't see much hope for any changes in the U.S. government's position on this subject. Uh, we're too, you can't admit to the people that you've been lying for 60 years, and you can't admit that you're not in control of the situation, which obviously they're not. So, I mean, that's my own personal feelings, but I do think the idea of some sort of U.N., uh, initiative would be would be a, a logical you know place to go, and I, and I know they're working on on drafting language for that. But in this country, yeah. we don't pay attention to the UN as much as maybe we should. The other question I'll have, Peter, and we only have about four minutes left for the segment, so we can take this to another episode. What about gradual disclosure as we become more and more aware that life exists elsewhere in the universe? Water on Mars, water on the moon finding these so-called M-type or Goldilocks planets around other star systems. That gets people accustomed to the possibility. That's a possibility. Maybe that's what the government is doing. But I take the position that 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 government in Washington, D.C. works for me. They are there to accommodate my interests. And I don't think they should be meeting out this information slowly. I think they should... They have a responsibility to share with the American people what they know about this phenomenon. That's what I think they should be doing. Yeah, is I agree. This. I agree, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> irrespective of whatever the ramifications they may be, and it's up to the American people and the American voters. If they're dissatisfied with what's going on, they should put different people in Congress instead of voting for the same tired, old, lame liars that are maybe not telling us the truth or they're not pressing the military and the uh, members of the administration for what they know on the subject. That's my response. There's also the feeling here that a lot of people in Congress are funded by corporate interests that have their own concerns, and that's not one of them. They're not working for us. They're working for the people who give them the campaign donations so they can run for re-election. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I agree with that statement. I I think the American people are going to have to wake up and start pressing their elected officials uh, more aggressively for what they know on this subject. But trying to get the American people to wake up is one of the greatest challenges in the American scene today. Uh, yep. Most people are they're lazy with regard to politics. Look, most people are walking in, they're walking around in a state of waking coma. Yeah. Uh, most Americans, I think, with regard to the po- politics and what takes place in Washington, are as asleep as Ichabod Crane was. And they've got to <laughs> awaken, and they've got to start pressing their elected officials to tell them the truth on every subject. Yeah. Uh, starting with Benghazi, the most recent case. Well, you know what, Benghazi, I have opinions on. I don't want to get into the politics of that. But I think whatever it is, at the very least, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you agree there were screw-ups. And instead of arguing about the talking points, which is an issue, it is... How do you fix the problem? How do you make diplomats safer from attack from any source? And if people screw up, they should be fired. They should have their hats handed to them, send them out goodbye. I think that's the most important thing to say about that. Otherwise, we get into a political discussion that really isn't germane to what we're dealing at here. In the remaining minute, Peter Davenport, tell our listeners more about the National UFO Reporting Center and how they can get involved or at least contact you. 
Yeah, well, I really appreciate the opportunity to appear here. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, if there are people, listeners, who have been witness to UFOs, irrespective of whether it was eight minutes ago or eight decades ago, I'd like them to submit written reports using our online report form at ufocenter.com. I estimate that out of 20,000 people who've been witness to a UFO sighting or what may have been a UFO, only one of those people's ever reported it in a meaningful, that is, written wow. fashion. That's that's huge. So, and if they've had recent sightings, I'd invite them to contact our hotline at UFO Center. Or, uh, our hotline telephone number is area code 206-722-3000. That's 206-722-3000. And submit a written re- follow-up written report Again, using our online report form at ufocenter.com. And we have a link over at thepowercast.com, which is our portal for more information. Go to forum.thepowercast.com to participate in our discussion forums and post your questions to our guests in the question bank. We're also found on Facebook, the Powercast Fan Club. It's the Powercast on Twitter. And Chris O'Brien's site is called ourstrangeplanet.com. That's ourstrangeplanet.com. Peter Davenport, thanks for joining us on the PowerCast. Thank you, gentlemen. I've enjoyed it. We'll do it again sometime, maybe. The PowerCast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the PowerCast.